0: Hi, I'm Zhang Mei, and this is the China Travel Podcast by Wild China. Each episode, we visit a different destination in China with a special guest. And when we say a destination, it can be as big as a province or sometimes as small as a village. Or sometimes it may be a field of study or simply a way of life. Today, our guest is Qing Tian founder of the NGO Educating Girls of Rural China. Qin's story starts in Beijing where she attended a privileged girls-only school. I don't think we have girls-only schools anymore today, but it was back then. (laughs) However, due to the politics in China at that time, her dream of pursuing further education ended right then. Instead of going to college as planned, she was sent to Gansu instead the poorest province in China at that time, and there she spent eight years as a factory worker. In the 1980s, Tian immigrated to Vancouver, Canada. Her new life in Canada inspired her to establish Educating Girls of Rural China, EGRC for short, in 2005. She founded the NGO with the dream that young women and girls in rural China should be given the gift of education Her belief being that educated women have educated children and that educating women is the fundamental basis upon which to lift them out of poverty and hence build a better society. So fast forward to today, 17 years later, EGRC has sponsored over 1,700 rural girls and young women to obtain high school and university education that otherwise would have been out of reach for these girls. Qin has also established herself as a prominent voice of women's empowerment with speeches given to the Asia Society in Hong Kong in 2015, TEDx Beijing in 2016, Alibaba's Global Women Entrepreneurship Conference in 2017, and EVE Program's annual Asia Pacific conferences in Singapore in 2019. Qin was awarded the Canadian Governor General's Visit Medallion. She was the finalist of RBC's Women of Influence Award. RBC stands for Royal Bank of Canada. And she received five at fifty award from the Canada China Business Council on the 50th anniversary of Canada China's diplomatic relations.
1: So what an honor to have you. Welcome, Qing. Thank you. Thank you, Xiaomi. Thank you for having me.
0: Let's start at the Children's Choir in 2003. Could you tell us what happened that evening?
1: Yes, my daughter was singing at the Vancouver Children's Choir since she was quite young till she finished high school. It was a great organization. So that evening, they were doing a benefit concert to benefit UNICEF. So I was in the audience. And towards the end, the concert, an office, officer from UNICEF went on the stage and told the audience the many race that evening was going to two countries in Africa for a program called Go Girls. Then she talked about the girls' education, the importance of girls' education. And I was totally inspired. By then, I left Gansu probably over 20 years already. I was already in Canada for almost 20 years. I never thought of going back to Gansu. But just that evening it suddenly made me think of the girls in Gansu, because my mom told me the horrific stories, you know, that was really early in the 70s. Not just the poverty. What really made an impression on me was how the women and girls were being treated. So by then the girls was were engaged when they're eight or nine and got married off at the age of twelve or thirteen. Don't even mention about education. Even till today, so many years later, I think it was 2017, I was in a classroom with group of 30 girls who are under our sponsorship, high school girls. So I thought, you know, their mothers probably still in their late 30s. So I asked, I said, how many, how many of you, your mothers finished elementary school? It was only two hands up. I was quite shocked. In 2017? Yeah, 2017, just short five years ago. So still, Women around 40, most of them, they didn't finish even elementary school. You know, the things still changing for better in rural, especially the poverty elevation. But gender issue, the gender inequality is deeply rooted in the culture. It will take generations to change. I believe education is the first step to achieve that.
0: Absolutely. The story led so many doors that we could go into. I mean, there's the gender education uh, challenges in China. But I want to go back to your sort of emotions or motivations. Sitting there, many of us, myself included, have been in the audience. A few people are inspired to do something. So to understand that motivation, I would like to go all the way back to your upbringing. Your family was very well-educated. Your family's history was always, you know, was successful because of the education you had. Tell us about your family and how different your life was.
1: Mm -hmm. My grandfather didn't have uh, much education. I think he didn't even finish high school, but uh, he really believed education. He decided not only his three sons, all his nephews and nieces, you know, were going to receive education, Actually, mostly, it was his own effort. I think my parents' generation, my father's generation, he and his two brothers and my second uncle and aunties, like maybe 10, nine of them, they all finished education. We have seven doctors in the family. There's one high school teacher, two university professors. So that's the family tradition And also my family really liked the girls, my grandparents, my parents, we always had more boys from the last generation and uh, less Mm. girls. So that's why I grew up. I believe, you know, I have some confidence even to today, you know, really sustained me for all these years. I'm really grateful for my parents, my grandparents gave me this confidence. I never felt the way I grew up, being a girl was a disadvantage. So that's why I was so shocked when I heard the situation in Gansu about girls and women.
0: Just so people have an understanding, you also grew up in the People's Republic of China, post-1949, right? Yes. Not part of the traditional China, right? But then how did you end up in Gansu?
1: That was after you mentioned the, the political chaotic time. And my mother's whole hospital was removed from Beijing to Gansu. Everybody, even including the chef cooking. So I had a choice it's going to Inner Mongolia or Yunnan. Hey, should have come to Yunnan, much better food. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Dali. But anyway, uh, it's just like young people, the old schools were closed. The young people, you know, were sending to all the remote, the rural regions, the the regions, so-called re-education. So I had those choices, but I decided to go to Gansu with my mother.
0: And what did you do? I I did hear it as a factory
1: worker. Yes, that's right. Actually, I considered was lucky because going to a factory, that means you have a salary, like a pretty steady income, and you are not out there working in the field in the cold or hot. You hardly can make anything even to feed yourself during that time. You know, some young people would send it to the poorest region to work in the field, they couldn't even feed themselves. During that time, my mom traveled to the remote every the forest, you know, the far corners of every county, every villages in that county. And she really firsthand witnessed the poverty. But I was in that place that my life is between home and my factory. So mostly, you know, wondering On the street of the county, and uh, I went on the market sometimes to buy food grocery I didn't really 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 travel to villages to explore myself but so most of those stories I heard from my mother after a couple of years there I decided I could not be here for the rest of my life I had to leave I tried for many years I Hit many walls. I knock on every door. That was closed to me. I think the main reason was because um, my family situation at that time. You know, like for every young people who, your father was and what your father does, it's basically determining your future. The only measure is who is your father. I have to just say a little bit more about my father. To be fair. Actually, he was in a medical school when the war broke out. I mean, the second world war, the Japanese occupation. So he left North China and went to Kunming. Instead of continuing to study, he didn't even tell my grandfather. He joined, it's not army, it's like a, a flying training for a short three months. And he started to fly in the hump line. Hump line is very, very famous. Later, even Churchill said, this is a miracle. You never seen there's so many people's lives rely on so few.
0: A lot of older generation soldiers came to Wild China and asked us to help them locate the flying tigers. The route, that's, that's the hump that you were talking about.
1: That's right. The hump, the pilots and driving the plane is mostly transport the equipment, so by then in I went to Chung especially I spent a week in Tengchong. I spent uh, almost two days in that museum. I learned more about that part of history and especially they talk about the uh, Yuan talk about uh, flying tiger, talk about the hump. That's a really really interesting story, but um, not until 2006, so a little bit later, I Mm -hmm. think the Chinese government formally recognized the National Party, Kuomintang, was fighting the Japanese. So yeah, that's a a part of history. Actually, eventually, plus you know, he openly criticized the government in the fifties. So actually, he was in 1958. He was put in jail when, when. was very, very young. And uh, so when I grew up, I just felt this big shadow all over me. The entire time I was in China, I feel there's, you know, very difficult for me to advance myself, education, or, or find a better job or find the things I wanted to do.
0: That also resulted you not being able to get into college. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Tell us a little bit of that period. How did you end up in Canada?
1: Yes. And, you know, by then, actually, China's opened his door. You know, I think Nixon already visited China. By then, all the people left China needed a financial sponsor. Most of our young people were young people. They're trying to pursue their higher education um, abroad. Of course, with the... That's the reason they're going. That's how they left China. But the real purpose is just like a find a new life in the West. So I was one of them and uh, family, friends sponsored me. Yeah, I came to Canada. I feel, you know, in my life, I think everything I was, I tried so hard to do was just for one reason to survive. Mm. So this EGRC is the first thing and the only thing is my dream beyond survival. Even after I came to Canada, it's not easy. Yeah. To go back to EGRC,
0: by the time that children's choir evening happened, you were already financially pretty stable and established and children were on their places college or whatever uh, heading out and you have this dream you want to help rural girls in china Mm -hmm. what did you have to do to turn that dream into reality
1: yeah just go back a little bit to that evening i said i was inspired you know the first time in over 20 years i was thinking about the gansu especially the girls in gansu because suddenly i just felt you know i can You know, I feel my two children growing up were born in Canada and growing up in Canada. They had all the opportunities, which, you know, I didn't have. Mm -hmm. Then I just feel also my life has become very different since I came to Canada because I had this opportunity. Someone helped me. So this mm-hmm. all, you know, think about everybody's life. I think opportunity has a big influence on your journey. So I thought why those girls don't deserve an opportunity. They need opportunity. And because I also experienced like a desperation, feeling no hope, feeling doomed, feeling all that kind of feeling probably still you know in, in a way still sometimes I, I i can feel that so i just felt why these girls they are probably just as smart as my children they're even more smart so that's just those two things you know came to me it's first of all think about the girls in gansu second the girls education second it is the word opportunity
0: how did you find the first group of recipients and donors to help you, to help others?
1: After the concert, you know, this idea was on my mind, of course. And I started talking to a few close friends. They're Canadians. Everyone thought it was a great idea. So especially, I had a couple of times, I was especially got together with this lawyer friend. Then eventually I invited him to come to China with me to Gansu actually and I want to find the situation what is the need before I start anything because it's such a long time over 20 years past so that was the spring of 2005 so this is almost year and a half past in April of 2005 so my lawyer friend Larry and myself we went to Gansu and uh, I visited from elementary school to middle school to high school just check out the need especially i told the local government officials i said i want to support girls education let me probe that a little bit. How did
0: you get in touch with the local government because most people find it's hard to even you know, find a phone number or someone in the government to call. How did you get the government to support you and line up the schools for you to visit?
1: Oh, yeah. I think at that time China was very open in general want to everything, you know, to help or learn, explore from the west. So their attitude was very, very open, even from the government level. Mostly, I think it's another friend made a connection and he's Chinese. And from Fujian came to Canada and the States to study and eventually settled in Canada. And he got to know from when function in China, the deputy head of Gansu Provincial Foreign Affairs Office. So he made a connection. So actually the first, they had a big banquet even in Lanzhou for two of us. And they were, you know, very, very positive. I felt a really warm welcome. Then they accompanied me, went down, traveled to the county where my mother and I left, and also the head of the education bureau. Actually, still there are people there, they still remember me. 20 something years later. Mm. Yeah. They mm. still remember me. They were just quite impressed what I came back and what I wanted to do. So they were really, really willing to help. They showed me very excited. I remember they were building a new high school. It was quite a big scale. I think the head of the education bureau, uh, was very excited, very proud to show me. Of course, I went to villages, you know, just to see the, the life of normal farmers and peasants and elementary school, middle school and high school. So was the trip was very, very satisfying. Yeah.
0: And what did you conclude from the trip, how you wanted EGRC to function?
1: So I came back, I gained some confidence because I saw the need, for sure, every level, you know, of the education it needs support, especially for girls. By then probably still some of the girls, you know, or not attending school, or at any given situation, could be dropped out. Because, for example, if the one of the parents got sick, or the brother wants to advance his education, they didn't have enough money. The girls have to ask to quit school and to find work, either helping the family or find manual labor work to support male siblings, education, that's very common 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Right now the situation I think has become better. Mm -hmm. And how did you zero in on the mission? The first idea, of course, the simple idea, give the money, send them to school, pay their tuition. That's the the fundamental purpose of establishing. I know, you know, the big job I have to do fundraising. Yeah, by then I had a little bit of experience of fundraising because I was already on the board of the Vancouver Children's Choir, you know, doing fundraising. So I was, you know, so I had some confidence and also I, so my lawyer friend Larry helped me register to charity. Then I started fundraising. You know, I had an art gallery. So the artists and uh, my clients really supported. So I had a quite successful art auction. And also my son had a friend who was at the Juilliard studying piano. She did a piano recital. And some people, of course, directly writing a check. You know, I actually remember it's a small crowd, but everybody heard what I was going to do was very supportive. So I was able to raise From June and July, I raised 27000 Canadian dollars, and in August, I went back to Gansu, to Longsi County. By then, I already figured out how I was going to, you know, because I, I told you all the girls need support, but I decided I'm going to focus on university education. helped girls already accepted by universities, but they didn't have the financial means to do so i believe you know there's need is huge what i can do is still quite relatively small i felt university education is a life changing game mm-hmm. you know after you graduating from university you have a certain knowledge and skill financially you should be able to be independent earn a decent salary as a profession Most of all, I feel you are able to think for yourself. Yeah. But also, I met a group of really cute grade three girls. I felt I shouldn't disappoint them. So I think I also paid one year tuition for over a 100 grade three girls in that school I went. So I went back to see them. So I still have the photos. Past, they're all in their 20s now.
0: Wow. Among those 1,700 girls that you've um, supported, there must have been amazing individual stories.
1: First of all, I'm very proud of them. The university girls we sponsored, you know, all those years, the number is not very big because I never have believed the number quantity is value. I always believe is the quality Mm -hmm. Think about it. You know, 1700 girls in 17 years is not a big number. It's not a big number. Not a small number either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you have to think, you know, my hopes they are going to be eventually out there to make a difference, not just, you know, for themselves and their families, their communities, and also make a difference. In EGRC, helping up more young girls. Over the years, actually, the second year, I already realized the girls need more than money to succeed. They need emotional support. They need a community outside of their home. After you left their rural environment, they were going to the cities. They need support. Because even then, even then, 15, 17 years ago, China, traditionally, there's always a huge gap between rural and urban in every way. So I think they never been to a city and then suddenly they're in this city dwelling in a big university. Mm-hmm. So I even visited universities where they're studying. I really want to find out what they're doing, so I decided instead of the government told me they're so poor they couldn't even afford a train ticket or pair of shoes some of them i was told you just gave them each one one thousand and they'll be fine once they made to university they'll be fine but you know just depends on how you define the word fine right so i second year i decided i see the first 24th university student was sponsored in 2005 so by 2006, I met all of them and I select more new girls, new students. You know, I want to make the connection with them. I want they are connect to each other, start building this uh, emotional support. So that's, I actually consistently was doing until the COVID is every year. I was personally meeting all the students in our program. I think that's really is the foundation, is the emotional support. Of course, the financial support, I would say equally crucial, equally Mm -hmm. important. So that's why I'm very proud our university graduation rate in 17 years is 100%. Oh, that's amazing. It's not even one girl drop out. They knew this is the only way to change their lives. They knew also you know themselves they work so hard from elementary school they have to walk for two hours to go to school and some of them has to took the sheep out in the morning to attend the sheep for a few hours before they go to school. And you ask stories one story really made me cry. She already graduated and she's working in Beijing in a state-owned company but she said, when she was in high school, she had to walk for the two, three hours every day. Then her mother, they didn't even have a clock. They don't know what time it is. So in the winter, especially when it's outside snow, sometimes, you know, the reflection or the moon could make the room quite bright. Her mother would think this is the morning. So the mother got up to cook breakfast and the wake them up. Then they got to school. It's two or three hours earlier. Oh my God. I know this. Is, I just want to cry. That's their life. Actually by a clock. It's just a few Yuan. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So just like all kinds of you know, they are so determined. So that's how the success come from, you know, we just gave them some help. At the time they really needed, I have to say they really needed the money and the emotional support to help them to, you know, to open their eyes and uh, open their horizons.
0: Do you have an alumni community that they are staying in touch? Like the uh, older graduates are supporting the younger graduate meeting the younger ones?
1: Yes, first of all, I believe myself and all the donors behind me, they would love to know what's happening to these girls after they graduate, right? Yeah. So, and also, you know, during those four years, we really established some close relationship with the girls, myself and them. So of course they also want to keep contact with me. So we started the Alumni Association in 2013. So Mm -hmm. most of the girls are graduated, are contributing back. We have an annual crowdfunding. I told them no more than 1,000 NB, because I don't want to be a competition. I don't want to put any financial burden on them because they're still young. You know, Mm -hmm. they're building their own life and they're supporting their families, lots of them. In seven years, they've been raising money for us, of course you know the girls in Beijing and Shanghai they you know they're a voice for ETRC. they you know they attend event they speak they also volunteer.
0: Mm, yeah that's just such a such a heartwarming story now fast forward to where we are now the changing economic situation in China people are a lot wealthier So would they still value a support that comes? Would they think that's, oh, that's too little. It won't help me cover my university education. Has that impacted you in the organization, EGRC?
1: Yeah, no, I think the university tuition and accommodation fee hasn't gone up. It stayed the same level as the 15, 17 years ago, you know, occasionally. For example, we had a student attending CM Meishu學院 Art Academy, so her tuition twelve years ago was twenty thousand. But most of students going to regular universities, including I believe even Tsinghua or Fudan University, the tuition the cheapest could be still four or five thousand. The more expensive one is eight, 000, nine thousand, ten thousand. And the is surprisingly just a few thousand RMB for the whole year. This is the credit to the government, you know, make the university education accessible. But what has really become more expensive than living expense? The living expense probably, for example, before they only need 5,000 RMB for a year, 500, even 300 each month, they're really tight. But right now, gone up probably three times. You need the twenty thousand. So also, the government stepped in, giving like a huge amount of loans. So I think ninety percent of students, if they need, they can access to the student loan. Basically, only loan your tuition and accommodation. So our sponsorship fund for eighty percent of our girls, they are getting loans from the government. So pay their living expenses, part of living expenses. We are not paying their whole shop. Usually the family would contribute. And also school has more bursaries and uh, scholarships. Also from last year, I think there are some regions the government just gave each student 10,000 NB for everybody going to university so this is the university situation so there was a policy say they don't want to see any student cannot go to university because they have no money oh that's fantastic yeah yeah but on the other hand you also mentioned the gap between rural and urban right it's just like a wealthy and the poor is widened mm. and the second the education accessibility is widened Huge. hugely. For example, in any cities, even the second, third tier city, even the middle class family, they can afford to send their children study abroad. This is the first. Yeah. And anyway, summer camps or, or even online or in-person tutoring. But our girls in rural regions, high school graduate basically have no knowledge about it outside and some of them never been to Lanzhou also I went to all the high schools where our girls are studying if you walk into a classroom right now lots of places have a projector now but basically it's a blackboard and each desk like a really big pile of textbooks they're not allowed to use internet unless occasionally the school maybe provides some. So basically, very, very old-fashioned, traditional method of learning. And they only have one goal, it's called. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's why in this kind of situation, if they're able to make to university, the gap, the knowledge gap, not just the financial gap, it's huge. Plus emotional, you know, mental vulnerability from poor families, also some of the family divorced or parents were permanently handicapped or sick, so all these situations. So that's why I see our work still equally important to ensure their success. Not just to graduate from university, eventually their life journey, their career journey.
0: That's very interesting. So there are so many grants and scholarships out there. What would you say is your secret recipe to success?
1: Emotional support. Emotional support. And also soft skill training. Mm. Yeah. And also, I do believe, you know, the concept of philanthropy, charity, is relatively new to China. So I think there's also donor's education. You know, what is really giving with your whole heart Without any string attached.
0: Very inspiring and thought provoking conversation. One last question. How do people get involved with the EGRC?
1: They can check out our website. We have social media. We have public WeChat. Also, you know, I think if people inspired by what we do, there's a general email information called info at egrc.ca. Personally, I received that email. It's a general email, but come to me first.
0: Great. We will provide a link in the notes of this podcast. I think it's a wonderful cause. I myself came from rural China and uh, went through this entire process of being educated in China and coming to the West. So I can absolutely relate to how important your work is. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Ching. This is Meaningful and inspiring conversation.
1: Thank you, May. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the China Travel Podcast, produced by Wild China Travel and hosted by me, Wild China founder Zhang Mei. For every episode, you can find a summary with timestamps and a list of resources on our website, wildchina.com. If you enjoy this episode, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media at Wild China Travel or me personally at Wild May. That is M-E-I. Thank you and see you next time.